0: Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. I am Tim Pasek, one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm delighted as always to be here joined by our pastor, Phil Henry, and his uh, study, a.k.a. our recording studio in Pittman, New Jersey. How are you doing today, Phil?
1: Great, Tim. It's good to see you.
0: Good to see you, too. We've we've had quite a long hiatus. We've had our own break, if you will, we have. Um, from the podcast. Uh, I think our last recording was the end of June, so yep, well overdue. Right. Glad to be back here um, to do the the, uh, the studio setup this morning and, and get back into it with you. It's I sorely missed our Monday uh, Monday time in the Word. Thinking about the sermon, how was your time away?
1: It was a rich time of study and prayer, reflection, some writing, and I also. Uh, snuck in some a uh, bit of a family vacation, and uh, Polly made sure to give me a decent sized list of a, of a honeydews. Of honeydews.
0: <laughs> and how did we do with that?
1: Honey did as best as he could.
0: <laughs> very good, very good. I've been busy as well, along with the other REs. We um, we preached a sermon series this summer. Always very thankful and excited to have the opportunity to fill the pulpit you phil at mercy hill and so we just finished up a short series on eldership in the church um and so i i commend those sermons particularly my brother's sermons t- to you uh, if you've not listened to them they're all posted on our website and i'm hoping in the coming weeks to be able to do a special recording uh, roundtable round table type podcast special edition special edition yeah so that that we're with? we're still co- trying to coordinate five guys worth of schedules to uh, to get that recording planned, but hopefully in the coming weeks we'll have a, a, a special edition of the Deeper Cut with uh, the fellow ruling elders who preach this That'd summer. Be so That'd be great. So would be great. Anyway, um, let's let's introduce our guest who's with us today, new guest to our studio. Phil, would you do our honors?
1: Sure, happy to welcome Josh Tigro to the podcast. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me on. You're welcome. Josh is a member of our church and works locally in the area, and a, a young man aspiring to the ministry as well. And so uh, we're we're thankful that you're here. Josh helps out. You help out in our our youth ministry as well at church.
2: Yeah, that's that's correct. I'm happy to be here. So I'm looking forward to uh, diving into all the esoteric
1: things. That... <laughs> Oh yeah, esoteric just gets us. That just that's your cover charge, man.
0: <laughs> it's wonderful to have you, Josh. I've tried getting you to come and join us before, because I always appreciate um, the conversations that I get to have with you at Bonesaw or or what have you. So it's great to have you on the couch this morning. And and our fourth guest, our our non-human yes. guest who is part of the podcast, we welcome Rocky back. Uh, as well. So if you hear him snoring in the background, um, it is not Josh who has fallen asleep (laughs) as part of the conversation. It is our beloved, uh, our beloved podcast member, have hot dog Rocky. Anyway, um, we have before us kind of coming to the end of first Peter, uh, Phil, we've commenced in chapter five this week, uh, specifically the first five verses, and uh, how how you feeling as we kind of get into the, the end of this, Phil? It's been a long, 22 weeks into this sermon series mm-hmm. now. So we have, still have a lot of gas left in the tank here in Peter. I'm not talking about you and your preaching. I just mean in, mm-hmm. in what Peter has for us.
1: Yeah. I think we have maybe four more messages or so. It's it's It feels kind of epic. I mean, it's been... Um, I spent quite a bit of time preparing last year, and um, and this year, the the journey through the letter has been, for me, extremely gratifying. I've I've learned a lot, and I think the church has appreciated the series. So, um, but Peter saves a lot of fireworks for the end. So we've <laughs> we've got we've got yeah. a number of challenging and and inspiring texts in front of us.
0: Yep, yep. This week being one of them.
1: Yeah, well, the, the timing was perfect, and it was on purpose. We wanted to wrap up the series on elders with a sermon from me on elders, and uh, it it didn't it wasn't like a capstone, but yeah. um, Peter definitely has a perspective that overlaps with a number of the other texts. Servant leadership was Mark ten forty four and 45, and uh, discipline was last week with Adam in Matthew chapter 18. You talked about... Uh, the gifting and the call to some degree in your message. And, of course, Scott talked about shepherding mm-hmm. and the, the pastoral care in Acts 20. So uh, as it came together, it really seemed like Peter did, as he does so often as, as the leader of the disciples. He seems to have a, have a read or have a bead on kind of the whole scriptures and he puts his peculiar Mm. spin on it Mm.
0: apart from from christ peter's kind of the preeminent elder of the church right in a way
1: preeminent in many ways so he's the the preeminent buffoon right but, (laughs) but then he's he becomes the preeminent preacher yeah um and of course peter and paul define the book of Acts. So the first half of Acts is the ministry of Peter. He leaves the scene in Acts 12 and Paul comes onto the scene in Acts 9. There's a little bit of overlap there and Paul is uh, essentially dominates Acts throughout the rest. So the history of that first generation of church leadership in some ways is defined by Peter and Paul. Yeah,
0: yeah. I really appreciated, and I'm jumping into the text here in verse 1, you know, you you calling out and spending a good chunk of time talking about how Peter qualifies himself in a way, mm-hmm. and he starts with as a fellow elder, mm-hmm. and um, speaking as a ruling elder. I think often I read the scriptures and I read Peter and I read Paul even, and I go, man, like they, they're so far above me. Mm-hmm. And in 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 ways they are, you know, they were apostles, and that ministry has ended. In the church, um, at least in that specific way, but nevertheless, the you know Peter basically saying, "No, nah, I'm, I'm right with you," mm-hmm. which means everything I'm about to say to you is of, of utmost importance, um, and I'm not speaking down to you. I'm speaking to you, almost come alongside as a mm-hmm. as a brother, which I really appreciated. Yeah. The context of, mm-hmm. of that.
1: On that text, Josh, I was talking to my my kids about the message. We we chat about the sermon. Most Sundays we have conversations and one of my daughters asks me, How do I know that that the elder being discussed is the office and not just an older man?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because in verse 5, the word is, Now to those of you who are younger. So did you think about that? Or, or how would you, looking at the text, how would you answer her question?
2: That's interesting. Um, it does, the, the metaphor of the flock and the chief shepherd implying that these elders are under shepherds of him um, that is like, that's a, the consistent analogy is the shepherd over the sheep. The prophets in the Old Testament mm-hmm. were shepherds as mm-hmm. well. And so um, it, uh, it would seem to be that Peter is saying, um, he's identifying himself as uh, part of the same office as the people to whom he's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's perhaps, and uh, you know, you're, um, you have a great a knowledge of the original language, uh, that I don't, but, um, there's perhaps sort of a, a play on, on words to some degree going on there. Um, you know, John addresses his audience as little children, keep yourself but, from idols. But they're, they're adults. But they're all, they're adults. Presum- he's presumably, you know, there's children in the congregation, but he's speaking to the congregation at large. Right. right. So in one sense we're all like little children in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So that, this is a consistent metaphor that's used. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's actually very consistent with the idea that, yeah. you know, the, the elders who are over you, in a sense, there's that idea of wisdom in age that you spent time talking about. I um, did,
1: I did. So the fifth commandment is that we owe honor to those who are our superiors, either in age, in rank, Or in gifting so um, you're you're familiar Tim you've you've heard of this before so uh, someone can be younger than you and have a lower rank than you but you owe him honor because he's brilliant do you work with anybody like that or have you have you done business with people where where they're defying categories a prodigy for instance you know
0: yeah it's a hard thing to do. It is. It's a very hard thing to do. But I think what makes it hard is there is a part of you that goes, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. here. Like I know I'm I should be It's not like I'm
1: it's there's not there's their a part of it's me not that, only their fault that it's hard. In other words, it's our fault.
0: Right, but it, it's it I think what makes it especially hard for me is that I'm not oblivious to it like there's there's that part of me that realizes oh man i really should as much as it it, it's hard and difficult to do and i really don't want to do it that in and of itself is a very difficult thing Mm -hmm. because now i have to acknowledge something that i really don't want to acknowledge that i I am below not less important Mm -hmm. but below this person whom i I feel like i should be above right in some way shape or form
1: so so we're we're actually jump jumping in the conversation to the word submission, mm-hmm. and um,
0: yeah, really, uh, you know, out of left field for Peter to, to talk about submission.
1: Well, he has talked about it before. Um, good point. So, I guess I have a couple thoughts that's pinging in my mind here. Is it hard to submit, and and why? is that is that part of why the church why church attendance is down in the age cohort that i'm in which is 37 to 50 56 since covid by 15% is that an issue of submission in other words people in kind of the prime of their life middle age they decide they don't really need church is this an issue of submission does peter does First Peter five five? You who are younger, submit to the elders. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it is
2: difficult, and I. I it's also probably, to some degree, just the result of the very individualistic culture that we live in, um, which I think you see across age
1: demographics. That's true, but but it's it's a little ironic that the generation that's kind of rising to replace the baby boomers in kind of cultural and community leadership mm-hmm. are the ones that are A-wall at church that's sort of surprising to me i would have expected it's like the eight, the you know the millennials or yeah. the gen z or even the younger ones but yeah uh, we we know enough to know or to decide, I guess, that we don't need it. So I, th- I think it's, I guess I'm, I'm trying to throw a bone here because so often uh, men in their 30s and in their 20s are beaten upon in media and in conversations like these where they lack responsibility and so forth, but we actually see a little bit of a counterintuitive trend. Hmm.
0: Uh, I think when you say submission, You're speaking specifically about submission to the church, to men. Because I don't think it's an issue of submission in general, right? Because people are submitting to their own desires, right, to to not go to church. That's true. I I don't think it's an issue generally of submission. It's just no one looks at it that way. Okay. And not to be nitpicky about it, but um, I think that there's probably... I'm right on the cusp of that age group. Right. I'll be 37 in three months. And I'm finding in some ways humility to be harder in the sense of I feel like I've I've learned a lot and I've seen a lot and I've experienced a lot. And so I know a lot, therefore, you know.
1: The, exactly.
0: And so it's hard to then... Admit when I don't know or confess that I don't know or go to somebody else right. and submit. Um,
1: so add 10 or 15 years to that of life experience. Yeah. And when you saw how the church handled COVID and how people were fighting and this and that, and you're like, I don't need that. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm 50 years old. I'm 40, 50 right. years old. Uh, uh-uh. I've got a career. My retirement is is cooking away. I got my sports, I got my this, I got my that, and, uh, you know, I don't need it. Yeah, It's too much trouble. And if you had any negative experiences with church, like if church and church leadership, if elders make it extreme, I think I mentioned that we need to make, I don't know if I, did I say that we need to be, elders need to make it easy for people to submit by confining themselves to the commands of scripture and not you know nonsense requirements. So yeah. Um, but it's it's countercultural what we're trying to do as a church. A, a preaching on a topic like submission. Um, but then actually requiring it of our people through things like vows and accountability and church discipline. It's 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 not easy. Yeah. I
2: think in some ways
1: it's understandable
2: um, because you're referring to, you know, things that have taken place over the past few years that people have been frustrated. And I can say this as a young man, I've expressed this to friends of mine that and I I have to say, and this is not to flatter or just pat both of you men on the back. I'm pleased with the way that Mercy Hill handled uh, the COVID stuff and the regulation and i know that you all the elders did not agree with each other on everything i mean i, I know that yeah
1: and right. i thought that things were um, Well, t- t- tim and i were right so that's that's <laughs> one thing we we can say for sure yeah. right, well at least i'm here we with the guys say that, that were what right we that's right. did was right
0: i'm not saying we won out but we were we were on the right side we were of definitely
2: all. on the right yeah. side the whole time <laughs> but can i just say it was a test for me and um, even outside when I was more paying attention to what was going on in evangelical circles broadly, like some of the things that I saw from people in leadership and, you know, I have my own uh, perspective on things were very disappointing for me. And it was a big temptation for me to kind of just have that same kind of dismissive attitude of like, you know, I don't need to listen to these guys or that kind of like, okay, boomer attitude that a lot of, you know, young conservative guys like myself Mm -hmm. adopt, um, that was a big temptation for me. And I felt like the Lord used that time to work on me. Like, can you submit to people who God has placed over you, who Mm -hmm. are trustworthy, and maybe you don't agree with them on every little thing. But God tells you to submit to them anyway, because you're a part of God's church, and you weren't saved to just be an island. Um, Right. You know,
1: so... Among the younger cohort um, we see an increasing degree of kind of ang- uh, on the right anyway, angry conservatism yeah it's unlinked from biblical authority altogether. yeah and so all the more important that we're preaching in these last days, Tim, to to hopefully in, in a way that that shows, Hopefully, I brought some passion. You know, I, I I saw the the tension because I was encouraging elders to be passionate. I needed to bring at least as much passion as I wanted the elders to have, and maybe a little more. You know, some some extra on the top, because it's preaching first of all. Yep. But um, it's I was also trying to show leadership. We need to bring a passionate message that shows that we do think this matters to young men who might be tempted to unlink themselves from the scriptural paradigm of of living. And so here's Peter as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ calling on the elders to shepherd the flock with willing, passionate humility.
0: And you you just kind of mentioned it, and I don't think we've talked about it yet. But the context of this is that we're in the last we're in the last days. We're, we're at the end of the so that that provides that downward pressure, mm-hmm. if you will. That this is not something to be ignored, or ignore it at your own peril, mm-hmm. basically, right? So it's easy it's easier to it be like, oh well, I'm not dealing with that. What's the harm? Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's no immediate threat or urgency. I think people believe, right, right, for not going to church or or not being willing to submit, or you're going to church and then something rubs you the wrong way, and you're like, uh oh, I'm out. I don't need this. Yeah, you know, um, but I th- I think they've gotten the context completely wrong there. Yep. And I appreciated you situating us back a couple verses into chapter four in verse 17 for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Because if you, if you skip that part, then the passionate willingness to shepherd and also to clothe yourselves with humility, mm-hmm becomes like
1: all right well that okay that, i i get it but maybe it becomes a mere checklist
0: yeah or it's it's easier to brush aside if it's really hard to do which of these things i think are really hard to do mm-hmm. so anyway i appreciate i appreciate appreciated you starting there where peter does cuz again you know in the original text there's no chapter 4 and chapter 1 right. it's all one thing so i think that was really helpful to me um because even after, over the past five weeks, you know, hearing about from my brothers and, and doing some legwork myself and what what are elders' responsibilities and what has God called the elders to do for the church? Why, you know? Okay, we can understand everything the Bible says about that, but like, why is that what God wants us to do? Right? So why did God set up His church that way? Yeah, you know. And I think you kind of hit on that. At the beginning of your message yesterday. That's
1: good because that was as I was preparing, I was praying because I didn't hear all, I didn't go back and listen to all the messages that were preached. But my prayer was God, help this in the spirit pull together some of those threads and help me to transition back into preaching weekly, which I haven't been doing for a month. So. You know, that's that's a tall order, and um, I think the Spirit answered that prayer. Based on what you're saying and from some of the things that I've heard, so what did you think about me? What what if we were to change our reference to the elders in our church, Josh, from calling them ruling elders to witnessing elders? That would be an edgy thing to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you know but where
1: it, do you know where we get ruling elders from? Um, I could. I think I have an explanation for it, but I'll, I'll let you. There's a there's a special uh, text in First Timothy five where it says okay, elders who, to. who rule well. So there's a the word rule is attached to the office of elder in in, in the book of Timothy. So. Peter doesn't attach ruling explicitly to the, to the word presbyter or elder mm-hmm. in first Peter 5, but the ruling function is implied here by the word oversight, which is we get our word episcopoi or episcopal from that. It's looking out over something. Bishop is sometimes how it's translated. So a Presbyterian bishop is an elder. That's one reason we don't have a separate ecclesiastical office of a bishop that presides over elders because the work of overseeing is the work of the elder. So so I think Peter is certainly talking about the importance of order or rule or discipline in the church that, that's, that's in the water here. But he specifically points to himself as a, as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. So maybe you could, either you could comment on were you surprised like I was because I'd always seen that as first and foremost a reference to Peter's own personal experience with the person of Jesus. And I'd glossed over it until I gave it some more study and I realized I'm not sure that's the first reference here. I think the first reference is to Peter's own pastoral ministry post-resurrection, post-ascension, where he was proclaiming and pastoring and shepherding as a witness to the sufferings of Christ,, hmm. so are we to be witnessing elders or just ruling elders that's good i like um
2: there's there's a multi dimensional role that the that the elder fills um And and you sort of parallel these different texts from Paul's instructions to Timothy and and Peter and then the pattern that you see in the book of Acts. Um, I think you you get um, as close as we can get to uh, a full picture of what the care and governance of the church looked like in that first generation. Um, And uh, not to be a... Uh, well, I'm gonna do a, you know, the Presbyterian plug here, but I think it seems it's was something that stood out to me, and this is kind of I'm going on a tangent here, but um, is Peter's identification of himself as a fellow elder with those to whom he's writing, um, as you said, there is ob- there is a hierarchy in the church, but Peter's identifying himself as having being part of that same office. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's not part of some separate office that's above everyone else. The other elders, you know, he and the other apostles have been going about establishing churches, planting elders. And the Apostle Peter, as Tim said, is unique. I mean, these men, Paul and Peter and James and John, their letters are scripture. So they are absolutely unique in history. And yet, as far as office in the church is concerned, he's identifying himself as one of them, one of the elders.
1: Um, Very true. So um, when you read 1 Timothy 3 and you read the description of the elder, presumably that's something that Peter would agree needs to describe him. Mm -hmm. Paul wrote it. So his saying, I'm a fellow elder, is saying that the same things that need to describe or characterize a presbyter in the church characterizes me but then he goes on to say something that isn't in Paul's list Paul doesn't mention the importance of being a witness to the sufferings of Christ as a criteria Mm. for eldership he says apt to teach but that's a little drier than Peter's sort of rich kind of soaking poignant statement i'm i'm a witness to the sufferings of christ i think our our church elders need not just be rule keepers you know you haven't sat in on many elders meetings but there's a lot of taking minutes and mm-hmm. uh, registering you know attendance and some of these like statistics that and then looking things up in the book to make sure that we're doing things according to the proper format I mentioned uh, you know the book of church order I think I mentioned it. I had it in mind if I didn't actually say it on Sunday but boy give me a ragtag band of witnesses to the sufferings of Christ and you're gonna see a thriving church yeah It's sort of like uh, sorry I mean to, Go ahead. Um, so
2: if I can kind of track along with that like an elder is not to just be a good administrator Exactly.
1: Although that's a, that's a good skill to have. And some are going to be better administrators than others. Right. And some are going to be better preachers than others. Right. But all need to, be a, need to have some skin in the game mm-hmm. as a witness to the sufferings of Christ and to be able to say, you know, in the past week, here's how I've borne testimony. Here's how I've martyred myself for Christ. Martyr being the Greek word for witness. So doesn't necessarily imply death, unless we're talking about dying to self. <laughs> so another, another uh, point that I thought was helpful, and it's on the same topic of witness. Tim, when I was chatting with my wife, she said I emphasized in the message the negative aspects of witnessing. It's hard, it's difficult, it's painful. It often involves sacrifice, mm. she said. But what about the joy of it? Mm. I mean, yeah, the, the pleasure and the thrill and the happiness that comes when you get to participate in seeing a lost lamb of Christ's flock come home, or a broken, wounded, bleeding lamb have his wounds or her wounds bound and healed, and just just the absolute honor of of being involved in gospel ministry Mm -hmm. she said that that was a theme that maybe i could have emphasized more i think she's right
0: yeah yeah i think i think so i think we often fall into that trap though or at least i do you know and we play the not the woe is me card but like oh man this is hard you know we're fighting an uphill battle here you know people are not going to be receptive um, and the funny thing is the Bible all over the place girds us against that you
1: know right and even even my <laughs> my, my own message was an attempt to raise the temperature of hope and confidence in our church life really is yeah. in a way that's kind of what I was trying to do so uh, part of that that part of the message I think leaked out some of my own my own struggles in that area, so my, my wife is uh, is wise to see that.
0: You know, so I had never thought deeply about. I'm one of the people that you said the average Bible reader just glosses over these phrases that Peter uses. Right. That that's me. You know, that's exactly what I've done. Every reading I've done of First Peter five, but looking now at the. ESV reference, in my reference Bible, to that phrase, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. It's uh-huh. in like 24. Okay. So Jesus appears. Go ahead them. and read it. I'm going to read in context. So uh, verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, Peter being one of the ones there, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And here's the reference, according to the ESV, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So if that is a good reference, and it sounds to me, seems to me like that's a good linkage there. Um, but that is not, that's very hopeful. Like, Right. You know.
1: Right it is.
0: It it's not it's not focused on the on the trials or the struggle that's forthcoming. It's your witnesses of these things. You're going to go, you know, right. you're going to go and be a witness right. to these things for me. And
1: so one focused. of my one of my professors, you know the three marks of the church, so the right preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments and the right exercise of church discipline. And Calvin was explicit about the first two and implied the the third. And the Reformed tradition has maintained those three marks for centuries. And it's a great, for our listeners who are looking for a church, it's a great way to measure the health of a church. Is the word preached? Are the sacraments administered properly? And does anyone ever remember, in living memory, anyone ever being disciplined by this church? <laughs> So, um, but my, my, my pastor and professor in, in seminary, uh, Dr. Peter Jones, liked to talk about a fourth mark of the church, which is evangelism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he, he built his case from John chapter 4 in the encounter with the Samaritan woman and talking about how those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. And God is seeking worshipers such as these. And the seeking God is seeking worshipers. And so God's under-shepherds through Christ's anointing and commissioning, as you read in Luke 24, are to be those who witness and bring in sheep. And um, in, in each in their own way, in their own personality. And, Um, and not just describe or define their role in terms of attending an elders' meeting once a month, but interceding on behalf of the flock that exists and praying that God would add. Hmm. So I think, you know, me talking about not just surviving but thriving, I think this witness element is pretty key. Yeah. Thriving at the end. Surviving at the end of the world, that's one thing. But thriving... We need the confidence of the gospel, and w- which includes some some character issues in our own heart. You know, we, you don't witness for the sufferings of Christ when you're struggling with personal sin or financial problems or marriage issues or or this or that. So may God help us there. Any more thoughts Amen. on that?
2: Yeah, I and mean, just as far as like witnesses and, and not just seeing this as a just sort of a, an obligation, but as something that actually uh gives joy um where he goes on to say uh in verse 2 that the elders are to shepherd the flock of god that it's among them exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly um where there is you know in the I think it's implied that the, the, the power of the holy spirit god enables us um stirs up our our affections to do his will and it is not something that we're just being compelled and dragged along to do.
1: Um, yep. Yeah, I I wrote this or wrote this down. This reference, I don't know. Can one of you grab Romans one fifteen? When you got to go ahead and read it. All right, I have it. Just to set it in context, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, and this is in his introduction, before the famous text where he says, where he defines the gospel. Um, but w- what do we learn about Paul's emotional engagement in his work here?
2: He says that I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who
1: are in Rome. Right. So I wonder, did God tell Paul specifically to go to Rome? We know he told him not to go to Ma- you know the Macedonian. He closed the door in Asia, and he went into Macedonia. So we have this kind of divine directing of Paul. I think Paul was just passionate. He wanted to get to Spain. He wanted to go to Rome. Yeah. He wasn't waiting for somebody to tell him what he needed to do. He was looking for opportunities to be a witness to the sufferings of Christ. That's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's what we wanna see in a, in a young man. And Josh, you're feeling called to ministry and are taking some steps in that direction. Um, it's super encouraging to the church to, to see God stirring in your heart. And of course, we've had the privilege of being in covenant with you for several years now, and see so you go through a number of cover hurdles and and recover from challenges yeah. and twists and turns in the path, and now you're engaged. So, so I know you're excited on what the future has in store for you.
2: I, I am, and uh, this goes back to what we were saying though about the the importance of um, being a member of a church, and you know you. Uh, we're talking earlier about this demographic of men who have been sort of, um, uh, are maybe perhaps cynical about church attendance and like all these things that we're, that we're saying and that the apostle Peter says in this text is it assumes the importance of the visible church and actually being part of a body. Um, I can't, imagine going through, you know, some of the ups and downs that I've gone through over the past several years without being, um, supported by a body of believers and under, uh, a session of elders who care for my soul at the end of the day and care about my soul more than just, you know, some talents that I may have, um, taking. Yeah. And, uh, but that is the, that's the importance of um, the, the visible church mm-hmm. and church membership. And it's, it's not something that you can take or leave. And, you know, uh, I kind of said it earlier, we live in individualist land in America and where we kind of, uh, and there's a... So people fall into the habit of church hopping, and I'm going to pick and choose, you know, I like this, I don't like that.
1: Well, I can always just up and leave if I don't like it or if I have a bad experience. Yeah, my favorite on that is submission is absolutely irrelevant until there's actually something we disagree on. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's a warning. If you never feel the need to submit, you're in a church that's telling you everything you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And that is a problem according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 and 4. Because there are are warnings in the Bible, including the one I just mentioned, that says that God will allow pastors to tell us only what we want to hear. Itching ears. Itching ears. My ears aren't normally itchy, but I think he's using a figure of speech, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a peculiar image, isn't it? You don't usually see somebody itching. But man, if your ear itches, you, you gotta get it. On, on passion, pivoting a little bit, but still in this idea of being passionate about the call, I was reflecting in, in my preparation, what kinds of things generate passion? So Tim, tell me what you think of this list. A, a personal, it, you need to know the gospel. You need to know what the gospel is. And I'm thinking particularly here that Paul knew the gospel because that um, God was pleased in First Timothy chapter 1. And we, we actually talked about this on Saturday in our uh, In Covenant weekend seminar. God was pleased to choose him the least of all the saints or the chief of sinners, I Foremo- guess. Is,
0: foremost of sinners.
1: Foremost of sinners, exactly. Yeah. So he had a he had a personal knowledge of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That generates passion. Mm-hmm. There is no passion without that. And then relatedly, a personal encounter with God, which Paul also had. Right. And then some impatience, I guess, or indifference to secular things. So the, I always think of uh, if you work 40 hours a week in your day job and 20 hours a week in the church, and I know that's not how it plays out, but that's 60 hours a week. What you could be doing with your 20 hours and what you've chosen to do as a ruling elder with your 20 hours implies some indifference to secularity and some, some you're gripped in some way by the, the the matters of God in heaven, that doesn't grip the average Christian, so that you're carving out twenty hours of your of your disposable time to attend to the things of God, professionally, intentionally, diligently, and deliberately, passionately, and willingly. So, that's that's where passion comes from, and when a man. Sort of drinks all the Kool-Aid, Josh, and he goes into kind of full-time vocational ministry or the the office of teaching elder. And I know that's where you aspire to. Um, there needs to be a passion, because if the things of the world are a- a- attracting you to a certain degree, and I, I'm trying to describe that, I don't know if I'm being successful, without necessarily implying that sinful. I know. We're accustomed to attach sin with secular, but I'm not yeah. saying that. Um, it it needs to be that you feel called out of that sec. And I I did talk about the danger of uh, going into ministry for the love of money. So this is related to that. Thoughts thoughts on passion.
0: Uh, I think it's really good, Phil, because it, it's. I mean, it just it's very true. Like you. I don't know if I've ever thought of it in terms of passion, but certainly in my own life and in in my calling to be a ruling elder, there is there's priority that is intentional. Like you mentioned the 20 hours a week. And I remember um, when I was going through our class, when I was nominated, sitting down with Allie. And saying, "Look, this is what this is going to look like." <laughs>
1: like how'd that conversation it, go? It, it was good. I mean, it was yeah. a good
0: conversation, but it oh. was a conversation that we need to have to say, "Listen, our priorities are going to look like this," you know, and they should look like that. Meaning, you know, my priority is, is you and our marriage and our family. And we didn't have kids at the time, but literally, the church is like one B there, mm-hmm. which means we're going to, we didn't have this exact conversation at the time, but in my head it was, well, that means we're going to move sometime soon, closer to church, closer to where the congregation is. So we could be available. We're going to use our home literally as much as we can to minister to people. And if someone calls me, I'm picking up the phone again, unless I have something crazy going on in my house, I, I can't ignore my primary responsibility as a husband and a and a father in that way but you know it's going to take precedent over a lot of our comforts per se and I, I we've not done that perfectly you know and and when you're talking about passion and willingness before before we started down this path i'm thinking in my head man do i really feel those ebbs and flows in my life of my willingness like before i became an i'm like oh i'm willing you know i'm i'm ready to go halfway through covid yeah, yeah i don't know explained. about mm-hmm. <laughs> like going to the session meeting this month you know um or have anything on the phone and talk to somebody who has a complaint about how we're worshiping or, or whatever um and so that's not a good thing but that's just it's it's there it's a for, for everybody yeah it is. it is i wonder Phil, if you could talk for a moment how verse four plays into this and verse 4 reads, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So that's coming right off the heels of um, willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game. This is shepherd, the flock exercise, oversight, not in a domineering way, um, being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You you talked very briefly about rewards Mm -hmm. in heaven. So how do you think that plays into this idea of passion? Because you named a couple of reasons that we should be passionate. I wonder if this might be added to that list.
1: I think it would. And my first introduction to the idea of rewards was through the instruction by uh, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, who explained that it is not inconsistent with our Teaching on sola fide and justification by faith alone. Yes. To uh, posit uh, the presence of rewards in Scripture, and they're in the Gospels, they're in the Epistles, and they're clearly here. And I, I said in the sermon yesterday. I think I said this is in addition to the reward of salvation. Right. But I described it, and I think this is Augustine. God in giving rewards is pleased to crown his own gifts.
0: Right, yep.
1: So, Scripture wants us to be motivated by what is yet to come. Where I'm not very well, I'm motivated by what's right in front of me. Yeah. And so you put a bag of potato chips in front of me and I'm extremely motivated, <laughs> all the way down to the bottom, which is why Paula uses just puts a bowl of chips in front of me and not the whole bag. <laughs> Uh, portion control, Philip. Portion control. <laughs> um, so, uh, I think, uh, though his ministry has some faults, I'm, I'm, I've been helpful, helped by the by uh, John Piper in this, and his idea of Christian hedonism. I think. Plays off of the idea of reward, yeah, and and builds on that kind of the theology, a, a biblical, a Protestant theology of rewards. Right, we want our elders to be motivated by what's to come, and though you're going to lose in this lifetime, in in the coming life, the reward will will far outweigh the cost. It's something that we can't see,
2: and. This is something that I'm. I'm glad that you went here, Um, and I caught that. I like that you. I I knew you were quoting Augustine because you did. You did use that quote in the sermon. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But this is very much in line with something that I've been thinking about and convicted about as I'm just thinking about my own life and uh, my own sense of call, which you mentioned. The apostles did not get to see the fruit of all their labors and their suffering, their passion, the things that they were willing to to suffer for in their lifetime but they were playing for the long game and again our modern uh the modern western mindset we want when you look at political solutions that people come up with you got to be able to see the fruit of it in five to ten years and if not well that's garbage that can't be true that can't be just that's it's not even how ancient pagans really even saw the world the more noble of them and it's certainly not a biblical idea. No. The apostles did not get to see all the fruit of their labors in their lifetime. And um, yet they had such a confidence and a passion in their ministry that these men, by the power of the Spirit of Christ, changed the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that, like that's our playbook if I I want immediate results and it's, I was having a conversation with a brother recently and we were talking about uh, this very thing of not being easily frustrated, not growing weary in doing the will of God and, you know, just wanting to see immediate, immediate fruit. I want immediate. you know, what am I getting out of this? That's the, that's the wrong attitude. And we know that we know better than that. Um, whether we're elders or laymen, such as myself, but like, uh, It's such a frequent temptation, Um, and uh, so
1: uh, yeah, it's something that's been on my mind Mm. a lot.
0: Mm -hmm. That's good.
1: And and when you're not uh, well put, and when you're not motivated that way, I think it leads to domineering, Mm. money grabbing, and uh, general begrudging attitude in the work of ministry. Mm. Here's a here's a short short list. I was partly illustrative, partly confessional in the pulpit yesterday when I talked about domineering. Polly said I might have gone on a little too long there, but I'm like, um, they can deal with it. Um, I think people need to hear the the preacher being autobiographical at points in the message. I mean, the, the focus is Christ, not me. Hopefully that drew people's attention to Christ and how Christ is working in my leadership, but I was also being somewhat hyperbolic and, and exaggerating when I'm talking about ways that I've been domineering, but here is the list that I had in mind. A domineering elder is one who gives advice too quickly, who claims divine insight incorrectly, who acts impulsively or impatiently, sometimes under cover of boldness, and who gets involved Hypocritically, meaning the example isn't there to back up his personal involvement. So thoughts on uh, domineering elders and 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 that part of the message.
2: Well, I appreciated that you took the time to be autobiographical there. I think you were trying to to live the text, so to speak, and be an example. You know, do the very thing that you were instructing. True. Your fellow elders to do. True. Um, <laughs> there was that too. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's got to be a hard line to walk if you're someone who's in a position of authority. Um, you know, being in a position where you are to correct um, and you're to discipline when it is needed um, and yet being able to do that in gentleness and love and not, as as I think you implied, not in a sense of desperation or I need to see the results now, um, but being willing to, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what God has called me to do and I'm gonna leave the results to Him. I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit so work with this. That's
1: where the rewards yeah. tie in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's very difficult to not be results oriented in ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a factory job where you can point to the number of widgets that you made at the end of the day, or the number of carburetors you rebuilt, or the number yep. of you know walls, or how many electrical sockets you wired. Um, you can sit down with people and preach and minister and visit and share the gospel. And um, I recently was reminded that. Um, Some, who, who was it what was I listening to went his whole ministry without seeing a single convert so you know we kind of to your point the results belong to God
0: yeah it's, it's an interesting uh, thing that the domineering aspect or struggle is the warning that comes from the willingness and the passion right because if you're under compulsion then there's very little risk of you being domineering i think right but if you are willing and you are passionate then there is not extreme risk but certainly much more risk of that turning into selfish domineering behavior and so that's not to say that domineering behavior is good in any way shape or form but i think it does validate that there's passion and there is a willingness and an eagerness. And I appreciate Peter's calling out that, that warning <laughs> to us. And, and I have experienced that most vividly in my life, parenting mm-hmm. right now, which is in, in a lot of ways like eldering, right? Because it's shepherding. It's shepherding someone who I have authority over in my home. And with three little kids, like we're expecting, if I tell you don't do this, you're immediately not going to do it. And you're not going to do it the next time either. And boy, is that not the case with a (laughs) three-year-old. You know what I mean? And it very quickly turns into an attitude in my eagerness to correct my children and want them to do good. A domineering Mm -hmm. spirit. Where I'm just going to put them in their place and they're going to know that they were wrong. and
1: So um, you, you mentioned children, and I have the privilege and challenge of preaching to my children. So one of the reasons I maybe let that part of the message go on with a few more examples than perhaps I would have normally done so is I'm throwing a bone to the front row. It's like, I know what you're living with, and I wanna make sure that the church knows that I know what you're living with, and I wanna make sure that you know, that they know, that we all know that this is the <laughs> guy that you're living with. Yeah. So, well, we haven't even scratched the surface, Tim.
0: Never do. <laughs> Never do. I thought it'd be different this week with Josh here, but...
1: He he was supposed to help. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I guess that means we'll have to invite him back again. We'll and give him a
0: second shot, then. Give at him it. a, a yeah. second try. <laughs> no, in serious, this is a great conversation. I really missed during our break. It was good to have a break, but I'm glad to to be back and... Back in 1 Peter's wonderful conversation today. Um, we make this blanket statement almost every single recording, but if you are wanting to be like Josh and go the extra mile and, and sit in with us one of these coming weeks, we'd love to have you.
1: Was, was the coffee good, Josh? It was, good.
2: and the conversation was good. It's worth it. Just to be a fly on the wall, even. There you go.
1: There's a the plug. Well, we don't want you to be a fly on the wall. We'd love f- we need to get... Maybe we need to make T-shirts for our, our uh, guest speakers. Maybe that'll up the ante. Maybe.
0: Maybe you get something. some merchandise to yes. go with some it. merch. There yeah. you go. Gift bag for coming well, on.
1: At, at least now Josh will become our eighth listener. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe. He didn't say that. He didn't say that he would.
1: Maybe, no, he maybe. didn't, but I was... I was dropping a hint there.
0: Gotcha. Maybe we'll have him sign a, an agreement before he But I'm, I'm
1: not going to be domineering. <laughs> <about it. laughs> hint taken.
0: No, we, we appreciate um, everyone who listens and listened this week. We hope that the conversation was helpful and encouraging to you. Um, if you have questions or you want to engage with anything that we've discussed or maybe something that we didn't talk about, Um Feel free to drop us a line. You know, you can email Phil or myself or email addresses on the website, um, on yeah. our on yeah. our webpage. But Rocky
1: um, made me get an email address to take some fan. Mail.
0: <laughs> you can you could take the first crack at it, Rocky. Um, but anyway, thanks again for tuning in with us this week. We hope you would um, join us again next week and uh, as we continue in First Peter and we pray you have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you.